Happy Tuesday, everyone. I want to welcome everybody to the You Thrive Everyday Show. And I am your host, AP, America's favorite life coach, owner, and founder of You Thrive Coaching. Sorry, guys. And the You Thrive Movement. I am so thankful that you guys are here with us today. Today, we have another wonderful interview. Okay. And this, they're all special, all the interviews are special. But this one is very, 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 very special, okay? Because my friend is all the way in Australia, okay? She is in Australia, and she's going to kick some game for us Americans, okay? It's a wonderful story, and I'm excited, and I want to thank everybody for their patience with these shows because we are just starting out, and we have been getting great responses, too. And I appreciate you guys. And once again, I want to make it very, very clear that these people are business professionals, okay? But when they're doing the interview with me, okay, I'm AP. I'm everybody's homegirl. So we are chilling. We are relaxed. Everybody's comfortable in their own skin, okay? So I just want to make that very, very, very clear that we are business professionals, but we are kicking it right now, okay? So I would like to introduce dun, 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 Coach <laughs> T. Fitness with the T is her business from Melbourne, Australia. Say hello, girl. Say hello. Hi, AP. Good to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So now tell everybody where you're from, where you're born and raised, and where you're at now. Okay, so um, my full name is Teorai. Um, I'm from Zimbabwe originally, so I was born in Zimbabwe um, and raised in Zimbabwe until the age of 13. I'm nearly 40 now. I'm going to be 40 in August. And Girl, now, stop telling them less. <laughs> 40 is the new 20, you know. It is. It really is. It really is. So, yes, yeah, so now I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, but I've lived in a few countries around the world as well. Oh, where else have you lived? I, when I left Zimbabwe, I lived in Germany. So my, I left Zimbabwe when I was 13 because my father became an ambassador. So he, we, we went, we went with my mom to Germany and we lived there for six years. And then I did my last two years of high school in London. And then I stayed in London and my parents went back home to Zimbabwe and I did my university there. I stayed in England for 10 years and then I moved to Australia in 2008. So I've been in Australia for 12 years. Oh, wow. So, I mean, just real quick, just because, you know, you're our first guest that has been to this, you know, to all these different countries. So kind of tell us what, what do you feel is the difference in each place? What was like in major differences? Wow, that's a very good question. No one's asked me that before. Um, I think with, with Germany, the biggest difference was that when I went to Germany, everyone had this perception of German people and Germany being a really racist place. Mm. But when I got there, my experience was the opposite. I found people to be really friendly and really welcoming. Um, the people who asked questions about where I was, it was more like curiosity. So it really sort of opened my mind that you don't have to listen to people's uh, perspectives or the way that they put people 
different countries in a box until you actually go there and experience the people yourself and then form your own opinion, so to speak. Exactly. And then with, yeah. And then with Australia, I think it was the same thing. I find Australians to be really friendly and open, but I love how very similar it is to Africa, like in terms of the nature, the way the landscape is. It's very warm as well when it's summer. Well, in Melbourne, it's cold most of the time. But when I moved, first moved to Australia, I was living in a place called Cairns, which is the um, top north of Australia. And it was warm every day. It was like being at home. So I, mm -hmm. I love it. I love Australia. So as far as you being a black woman mm. in these areas, have yes. you um, experienced any racism? Yes, I have. Um, I think it's been, you know, like when I first, I, I experienced a lot of racism more, I don't know whether you'd call it racism, but it was uh, curiosity that was <laughs> ignorant curiosity. So for example, when I first got to Australia, um, in Cairns, where I was living, it was, you know, not a lot of black people, whereas in Melbourne, there's a lot of different cultures. So I haven't experienced uh, outright racism some of it is just uh overt if that makes sense but in Cairns for example I was working I was studying and I was working in a music shop and I remember some people used to come in and say oh we heard that there's an African lady who works in here and we came in to have a look at you and I think how, how can you do that? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an animal in a zoo. I'm a person. How can you come from your house to come and have a look at me? You're not even here to buy the products in the store. You're here to have a look at me. So that was really confronting. Yes. And it didn't feel good, obviously. But you know what? When you started off and you said um, ignorant curiosity that was the perfect example of it <laughs> like you know what i'm saying it was kind of like like we don't see a lot of africans let's go check her out like an exhibit like let's go check it out exactly and i was like hey this is not cool right that's yes. very interesting it's interesting because sometimes you experience racism, but it's like, it's not that outright, hey, you're black, I don't like you, but it's like someone who's curious, but the way that they're going about it is so wrong and so off. Right. And you're like, hey, that's not okay, but they don't even know that they're doing it. It's weird. I don't know how to explain that. I understand. Okay. So, um, so like I said, so take me through your childhood a little bit. So did you grow up in the house with both of your parents, your biological, and if so, were they your biological parents, siblings? Let me know. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with my biological parents and I grew up with my older sister. My older sister, Eden, lives in Phoenix, Arizona, actually. And then I also grew up with my brother. My brother's my half sibling. So his mom passed away um, before my dad married my mom, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the same father, different mothers. Okay. And so, um, so kind of steer me through your childhood. What's going on with T as a kid? Is T confident like she is now? Bodacious personality? Let me know. Who is T? No way. I was not confident then. I was so shy and quiet and I still have aspects of that in me. But I think one of the main things was that culturally and also just within the household, I wasn't able to express myself creatively 
and just to express my feelings. So it was very much, you know, be seen but not heard. You know, children are seen and not heard. That was the way that I grew up. And it was more about uh, excelling at academics or at school. So even if I was upset about things, my dad wouldn't like it when I said, you know, I'm upset about this. It just wasn't something that we talked about, even within the culture as well. You're just supposed to be strong. You're not supposed to be crying or say you're scared about something. So I was just like, you know, all in a shell, really. It was only as I got to adulthood that I learned how to express myself and to be free as well within. So how were you kind of shut down? Um, How was I shut down? I think it was more verbal as in, you know, you don't, you don't say certain things or if you're upset, no one really takes that time to listen to you. But I also think with my parents, um, you know, by the time my dad passed away, he was 73. So they were, they were from the older generation. Um, and my mom passed away when she was in her 60s. So the way they grew up was really like traditional in the African traditional culture. You're seen and not heard. You don't express your feelings. You don't talk about mental health. All those kind of things are stigmas. It's only now that, you know, we're starting to open up a bit more. And maybe that's the same in other cultures around the world. Right. And I was going to say that. So as far as your culture is concerned, was it the fact that you were a woman and were told that? Or was it just in your house? Like it was kids, period. Like we don't talk about feelings and stuff. It's just literally Um, about academics. um, I think it was the fact that I was a woman was probably involved too, because I think my brother was more creative and he was more um, able to express himself and didn't get so much, you know, uh, he wasn't told, hey, don't say that or whatever he would do. I found that he had a lot more freedom than we did. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's definitely in the mix. Okay. So take me to a period when things are a little troublesome for you, because now you're quiet, you're shy. Usually that comes with low confidence. So tell me what's going on. Yeah, so low confidence, low self-esteem, and then I moved to Germany. So you can imagine as a 13-year-old, you know, you've grown up in a particular place with, you know, you know your friends and your extended family, like playing with my cousins and all that. And then all of a sudden, we're going to this new country. And to me, I didn't know what that meant as a child. I just knew we were going somewhere. But I don't think I really understood that I was going to this place where most of the people don't look like me, they don't talk like me, and was just like, okay, we're going. And I don't feel like I got uh, a good explanation of what was happening. So um, I think relocating was hard. It changed something in me in that I became even less confident because when I got to the new place, It was so overwhelming to be different and for people to be looking at me like, oh my gosh, you're dark. And I think, why are they looking at me? It was just so much as a young, young girl. So that made me, you know, um, more shy. So it's not like I was walking around depressed or anything. Right, 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 right. (laughs) But, But inside, I just felt like I just didn't understand who I was or what was happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
Okay, so you're in new territory where people do not look like you. Where are you from? And da, 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 da. and you're hearing German everywhere. And you're like, oh my God, how am I even going to get to understand? Were you in a, in a community where they were speaking English or did you just like basically had to hop in and kind of learn the language? I was in a, I was in a community that was speaking English. So that was good in that um, there was a diplomatic uh, uh, service. People who were working in the diplomatic service were around me. So the people who worked in the embassy and then uh, people from other embassies or other countries. So we'd all be together. And then also the school I went to was an international school. So we spoke English in school, but then outside of school, you know, if you're walking in the city or if you're going, you know, just a normal family day, everywhere it's just German TV is all in German um, they're very much about keeping their their language so I learned German in school and I also did extra lessons of German but I wasn't as good I'm not good with learning languages but my yeah. sister's good with languages so she picked it up really quickly so I mean, explain to me how this goes right because your your father was like pretty important. <laughs> Yeah, he was like. <laughs> so explain what he did and then kind of explain like your lifestyle a little bit, you know, because I mean, not people, I mean, who else lives like that? <laughs> yeah, you know what you're saying. Um, explaining the lifestyle or what he did. Well, he did, I guess for him, his main role was to represent Zimbabwe in Germany. So I guess like a, in inverted commas, a president to the country, but in another country. So he had a lot of um, a lot of things that he did in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what is it, liaising or interacting with other people in German politics as well. So uh, you know, most of the time, maybe I'd see. Uh, different politicians at our house. We'd have different functions as well. So my mom as an ambassador's wife had to act in a certain way and learn how to entertain politicians and very important people who would come to our house. Um, so that was interesting because I would just be watching or sometimes I'd, I'd have to come, you know, we'd be introduced as a children. Hey, say hi to minister so-and-so. And there was a particular way that we had to behave. So it was almost like that message of be seen and not heard was then, you know, ingrained even more. Like you behave in a certain way, you dress in a certain way, you have to be, you know, prim and proper, of course. You can't just be like running amok, you know. You can't yeah. just come up into the lounge wearing your ripped jeans. You have to be dressed appropriately. So that was that was interesting. I just got used to it, I think. I, I was going to ask, was, did you feel the pressure or was it kind of like a normalcy to you? Because you were so young. Yeah, I, I did feel the pressure when we had functions. But other than that, I think I just got used to it. I really did. Yeah, it's interesting when I look back now, I got used to it. But sometimes I would feel resentful, like I would just want to be free. I would just want to be able to run through the house like, ah! you know just right. to be free and express myself but I couldn't do that and so what kind of extracurricular activities did you guys have as children I mean <laughs> children, I know as kids right you're thinking what what kind of it was like um what extracurricular activities did I do when I was in Zimbabwe I did a lot of sports 
which was good because I was really good at sports, which explains, you know, what I do now in terms of fitness. Um, and then when I got to Germany, because there wasn't so much uh, free, there wasn't so much outdoor, there weren't a lot of outdoor activities like how they were in Zimbabwe because it was cold right. and we lived in a city that was very, you know, built up. So there weren't many parks or anything like that. So in Germany, I used to do things like um, typing classes. <laughs> I learned how to type. So I could type so quickly. It was more academics, extra lessons for German. I didn't do any sports besides within school, you know, school activities. Um, I read a lot. Um, I loved reading anyway, so it wasn't like something taxing. I loved music as well, so I was always listening to music and reading. Wow. Yeah. So as a kid, I mean, were you guys experimenting with drugs, alcohol? I mean, what were you guys doing? Yes, experimenting with alcohol, I would say, for myself. Um, by the time I got to Germany, my sister, because my sister is seven years older than me. So by the time I got to Germany, my sister was 19. So she then went to America. So she started off in Los Angeles. So she was in uh, Occidental College or somewhere like that, in California anyway. So I didn't see her that much, only when she came to Germany for holidays. So for myself as a teen, the only one in the house, because by that time my brother was older too, and he was out doing his thing, uni and all that. Um, I used to go out, so parties. Um, I used to sneak out as well to go to parties because my dad didn't allow me to go to clubs or anything like that. So I used to sneak out and off I'd go <laughs> and I'd come back so home. Did you and you guys have go. like security <laughs> stuff? Like how um, we had We had cameras, but I knew how to, you know, <laughs> how to do my thing. <laughs> I know that. I knew right. where they were. I knew what to do. Okay, yeah. so as a teenager, so take me through high school at this point. What's going on in high school? High school, oh gosh, high school was dating. Was like, who are dating. you? What are you doing? What are you? How are you getting in trouble? Because I knew you're not like the angel. What was going on? Give me the dirt, girl. Give me the dirt. The dirt, the dirt. I think the the dirt for me was sneaking out, going to clubs, drinking alcohol, um, dating guys you know at school um finding ways to meet them after school lying to my parents that I'm going to I don't know uh, some girl's place and then going to spend time with my boyfriends right yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> like give us free <laughs> yes. yes I had to find I had to find a way to have fun because yeah my my dad was super strict he was not having it he was not having none of that mess. He was not having, he was not hearing anything about boys or boyfriends. No, nah, it was school and that's it. And don't so, tell me how you feel. Just oops. focus on your books. Okay. <laughs> so how was it? So was he also like dictating like what he wanted you to do with your life? Because he sounds like he was like on it. Yeah, like, he was very strict. In a way, yes. I think he tried not to make it like he was dictating what we should do, but he still did. Because I remember even when I was choosing, and I was very blessed because I was able to even choose what course I wanted to do in college. He, he, you know, he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a pilot. 
He's like, no, you can't be a pilot because what if when you get married, you're going to be traveling, you can't leave your husband at home. So that's a very traditional way of thinking in my culture that the woman stays at home and cooks and cleans and looks after her husband, which is probably the same in other cultures. But he was like, no, you can't do that. So I was like, okay, I want to well, work in a hotel. I want to do hospitality. He was like, no, you can't do that. And then I ended up choosing law because I know that when he grew up, in the times that he grew up, um, the British were still in charge of Zimbabwe and black people couldn't go to college or university. They couldn't go to certain places. So there was segregation. Um, so he'd always wanted to be a lawyer, but he couldn't growing up in the colonial times. So I just thought, okay, I'll be a lawyer and I'll follow his dream and I'll make him happy. Because if you think even of my family structure, the way that my dad was, and I know that he probably meant well, of course, as all parents do, he was just doing what he knew. That's all he knew. He didn't know any different or any better, better in very commas. Um, so you can imagine that for me, it was always about getting the approval of my dad. So I was constantly seeking approval in whatever ways until I got to adulthood and learned about how to let go of not trying to prove things to a parent. So even in my relationships, I chose men who were similar to my dad because there was still that part of me that wanted to prove to him that I could be good or that I could be loved um, because I wasn't able to express myself emotionally. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes it's sense. pretty deep. <laughs> it's that deep. Makes total I've sense. had to do a lot of work to actually understand that link. And so how old do you think you were before you started to understand that? Oh, gosh, not very old. I mean, very old. Not old, but it was so recent. I think it was okay. after... I, after I separated from my husband, um, I'm going through a divorce now. I'm going to be divorced in August. Woohoo! Like, right. fully, like, it's going to be finalized. But I think the journey really started um, 2017. So not, not very not long too ago. Long okay. So, <clears throat> we're, um, so we're thinking about being a lawyer at this point. So did you decide this while still in high school or... When yeah, so I was still in, still in high school, like the last two years of my high school, I decided that, yeah, I'll go and do law, I'll make lots of money, and I'll be happy. End of story. That's what I thought then when mm -hmm. I was choosing. Um, and I was always good with academics, like I was always top of the class, on a roll. And it's only now that I look back that I think, wow, I was always top of the class in a foreign country where, you know, it wasn't easy, you know, being from Zimbabwe. People had a lot of prejudices as well. Um, so I think I worked even harder because of that. Because I wanted to show people that I'm smart too, just right. because I'm African. Because sometimes people had prejudices about <clears throat> Africans and how intelligent they were. And things like that. So it's like I was always trying to prove that I'm good. Wow. Okay. Mm. So how old were you when you met your husband? Um, I met my husband. Uh, how old was I? I was 35. Yeah. <laughs> I had to go back in time. In my so how was, your, how was your dating life before that? Because 35 is, you know. 
Yeah, I know. Um, I wanted to explain before that. So when I was in the UK, in England, I, I met, um, I had a, a, another partner and we dated for a long time. His name is, well, I'm not going to say his name, but anyway, <laughs> we dated for, better not say his name, <laughs> anonymous, oopsie. Um, so we dated for a long time, for eight years. So we actually moved together from the UK to Australia and we lived together here in Australia. Then we broke up while we were in Australia. So he's one of, I think, one of a, um, besides my husband, he's also one of those key people in my dating life that I, there's no way I can leave him out of the picture because we were together for so long. And so why didn't you guys get married? Because there was infidelity um, from his side when we got to Australia. So yeah, we tried to work it out, but it just didn't work out. In infidelity, what else was going on? <laughs> Oh, um, you know what? I don't know. When I look back, I, I see that, you know, there's probably uh, parts that we both played. But I also think that with some of the things that I do creatively, uh, it takes a certain type of man to accept and understand my work as well um, and to support it. So I think that while he still supported the, the dreams that I had, because back then I was still like, I want to do this and I want to have a fitness business and I want to model. And I, it was still like dreams. And he was, I think sometimes he used to think she's just going on, you know, about these silly dreams. But you were still in school, right? To be a lawyer while you had all of them. Yeah, I was still in uni to be a lawyer, but I realized as I was studying law that I didn't enjoy it. I was just like, okay, I'll just keep doing it. But I still had all these other dreams. And as I got older, I started to realize. Okay, why weren't you enjoying the law? (laughs) It was so, it was just not me. It just, yeah, I loved the writing part of it. I loved the reading because that's something I'd always done as a young girl. But it just, there was just something that wasn't clicking. And I left, um, I finished my uni, I did a master's in law as well. And all that time, I just kept thinking, I'll get to like it, I'll get to like it. And I actually practiced as a lawyer. And I kept saying to myself, I'll get to like it, I'll get to like it. Until I got to a point where I was depressed. And I thought, I've been doing this for years, and I'm miserable. I can't live. What kind of lawyer were you? I did criminal, family and property law. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those three. And I also tried human rights law as well. So I did a few. I did business law. So I went into a few different areas to see that maybe I thought maybe I need to try a different type of law before I stop. So I tried that, but still. Yeah. And I still have friends who are lawyers to this day and they love it. But the thing is for me, um, you know, I, I live in the way that I think I've only got one life. Why should I live it being miserable? I'm just not going to accept that for myself. So how long did it take you to finally decide that like being a lawyer is not it for me? It's not. Oh my God. Cause I did three years study. Then I did another year. Then I did my master's for two years. That's a long time. Then I practiced. Then I moved to Australia and I was still doing law in Australia. Oh. Um, all that time. So it was only by the time I got to 30 that I decided, right, 
I'm literally stopping. I'm not doing this anymore. And then I started doing evening classes, doing um, my fitness training. So I would go to work, just normal corporate work, you know, and then at night I'd go and do my um, studies for fitness. Your passion. Okay, yeah. and so your guy at this point is kind of like, she is all over the place. <laughs> so he's all over the place, it sounds like, right? Yeah, by that time we had actually broken up. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I decided to do the fitness, I'd bro- we'd broken up. And um, we were still kind of dating, like we'd hook up, then we, we wouldn't, then we'd say, okay, let's be together. Then something would happen, and then I'd find out he's still seeing other girls and it was just a hot mess and I was a hot mess <laughs> why were you so, a hot mess T I was a hot mess because I was heartbroken and I wanted my man back and that's he's he was like you know the stable man in my life that I always knew and I had these big dreams of us getting married and living happily ever after and at the same time I think I just didn't understand my worth I didn't understand that I didn't deserve to be treated like that and that I could How move are you on. Being well, so first of all, someone cheating on you ain't good, right? Someone, um, I think we weren't compatible in that. You know, he was a lovely guy, don't get me wrong. So I'm not saying that his actions then make him a bad person because, you know, I can't speak for him and I shouldn't, I'm not bagging him. But I think we weren't compatible in that. Uh, our mind space maybe was just we were in different um, different spaces. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now we have broken up and we are single and we are out yeah. here. What's going on? We are out here partying like there ain't no tomorrow. I was out partying, 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 partying. You know, drinking, doing all those external things that I thought would help you know, the inside. So that's what I was doing. I was doing my hustle, setting up my fitness business, but also partying because there was still that hole, I suppose, that I was trying to fill. So that's what I did. I party. I used to party like crazy. I don't anymore, but um, I had my fill. <laughs> from right, right. Yeah. It gets oh, old. Yeah. After so many years, it does. Mm-hmm. It gets old. <laughs> it gets old as... <laughs> And it's draining. Look, I- <laughs> it's draining. Like I still like a good party now and again, but not not as much as I used to back then. No, I know, girl. And then, like, like I was telling you, my body just it can't handle it. Like I, I party for a day, I need two days to recoup. You know, like <laughs> it's not the crazy or a week. Yeah. I need a week, right? Okay, yeah. so we're partying. So how do we meet the husband? Uh-huh. So how do I meet the husband? So I met the husband on a dating site, believe it or not. Really? Yes, really. So I met on the it was my cousin was like, You need to go on a dating site, you need to go. And I was like, No, I don't want to go on a dating site. And she kept, you know, just pushing me. Then I thought, why not? It might be fun. And then I met him the first week that I joined the dating site and we started talking. Um, and then he was like, oh, you know, I want to take you out on a date. So we met up and then, yeah, then we just started dating from there. So we, we dated for about a year, yeah, just a little bit over a year. 
and then we started talking marriage. Mm. Mm. So take me through that journey. Ah, okay. <laughs> we're going there. We're going there. So that journey. Um, ah, so we started talking marriage and he, he's a white Australian um, and he wanted to do the cultural marriage, like my cultural marriage as well. So in my culture, this would probably sound wrong to, to, wrong to people who don't understand this or have never heard of this. But in my culture, um, they do what's called kurora. And kurora means that the man goes to um, the woman's family and then he, he pays a certain amount of money to have the lady as his wife. Or he'll give things like cows that are given to the village of, you know, the, of the dad, etc. Yeah, dowry, right? Yeah, like a dowry. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's what we did. So we organized that and then we went back to Zimbabwe together and did the dowry. My dad was still alive then. That was 2016, no, 2015. So we did that and then we came back to Australia um, we lived together and then we got married, like the legal, you know, Western marriage. And we got married in the Philippines. So it was just the two of us. And that was uh, 2016, May of 2016. Okay. So we're at a place where, you know, father was kind of controlling a little bit. You know, you couldn't really voice how you're feeling. If you're having a bad day or somebody made you mad that wasn't things that you talked to your father about right no i could talk to my mom about it my mom was there like emotionally 100 percent, but not my dad and that was just normal too for our culture like you don't go to your dad to talk about your emotions in the african culture like a traditional african culture so how do you feel that that played a role as far as the suppression of your character, of your voice, of who you were? Mm, That's a good question. I think it played quite a role in that. Um, mm, Yeah, so I think obviously the way I'd grown up, not being able to express myself, then played out in my relationships because even if I thought something wasn't right, it would take me a long time to actually say, hey, you know what, I don't like A, B, C, D. I'd have to think about it. Or sometimes I'd think maybe it's my fault. Maybe something I'm doing is wrong when I could just say, you know, don't do A, B, and C. And I think the kind of men I attracted were men who then didn't allow me to express myself. Or even if they, if they did, they didn't like it. They didn't like that I was saying I don't like A, B, C. So it was exactly. just like a pot waiting to boil over. Exactly. Okay, so take me through this husbandture. We're married now. You We're married back now. In the Philippines. What's going on? We're back from the Philippines. So everything was all good before the Philippines, right? But when we got to the Philippines and we were getting married, do you know what? When I walked down the aisle, and I haven't said this publicly yet, publicly yet but when I was walking down the aisle, I was like, beep, that's a swear word. This is, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm making a big mistake. I knew just as I started walking down the aisle and I was like, there was no one around me because it was just the two of us. And I was like, you know, what do I do? 
And I just kept walking and I just got married, but I knew in my heart it was not the right decision. Why do you think you felt that way? Was it, was it just your intuition at the time or is this something that had been kind of playing in the background of your mind? Like it had been playing in the background of my mind from when I got to the Philippines not a little bit before, I'd say probably from the time that I left Zimbabwe after the dowry thing, everything was all good then. I didn't have any doubts. And then as soon as we got back to Australia and moved in together, there was just something in my spirit that was just saying, things are not going to go well. I I didn't have any evidence of it. And I remember texting my friend, my close friend here in Melbourne saying, I think I'm making a mistake but I'm just going to go through with it. And yeah, I just did. Cause I was like, well, what do I do now? So you didn't want to stand them up at the altar, honey. <laughs> you just walked <laughs> down it. I just walked down. I was like, oh, help. <laughs> okay. So you walk down the aisle, you really feel like fuck on the inside. Exactly. What am I doing? And yep. then, so you say your I do and how was mm-hmm. that night, the honeymoon night? Like, are you like uh, looking at him like shit? <laughs> or is it like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> in my mind, I was like, I was happy, but it was like, you know, I've been happy at doing other things. Like, I've had more joy, like, I don't know, doing something, achieving something in my business than I did the night of my honeymoon. That says a lot. I was happy but I wasn't like happy happy and I knew that that was a problem the fact that I wasn't really happy I was just like oh yeah I'm here but I wish I was somewhere else right (laughs) yeah and then I just thought you know I went back to that I suppose childhood thinking oh maybe it's me maybe I'm not grateful enough I'm spoiled I'm this it was you know I was turning it back on me instead of just listening to my gut Okay, so that was the gut. The gut said something. Okay, so mm-hmm. we come back from the Philippines. What's going on? Um, Philippines, get back to Australia, and things were just off. Um, I think that we didn't have a connection. I felt like, uh, yeah, things were just off. And, you know, over the course of our relationship, and I'm not saying that, you know, Maybe there were things that I did as well. I'm not saying that it's all him because I, 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 don't think, I don't think that that's a good way to come across when you're talking about a relationship because there's two of you. Um, and also because that person is not there to speak for themselves. But from my perspective, there were things that had started happening even as we were dating. So things that he would tell me about myself that started, you know, started escalating where he'd start adding more and more negative things about myself. So talking about, for example, the way that I looked in a negative way, the way that I talked in a negative way, like saying things like, um, you know, you're not good in a social situation. Um, You need to speak up more, as in he'd say, my voice is too soft. Um, Things like that, where you think, wait a minute, my partner shouldn't be saying those things to me. But I just let it go because I would justify it. And I started to believe it as well. He would yeah, just slip when it you in. hear something you know. over and over again, it's kind of like the brainwash, you know, it's kind of like slowly hypnotizing you to like, 
oh, well, maybe I am not expressive enough. or Maybe I am too quiet, you know? And then all of a sudden you start to be uncomfortable. So then that's the person that you actually become is the person that they're accusing you of being, you know? Exactly, yeah. And I think as well, on top of that, I had moved from Melbourne. So Melbourne's a very big city. And I'd moved from Melbourne to where he lives. And he lives more in the country part of Australia. So it was a small town. So you can imagine I'm now out of my usual zone. I've shut up my fitness to a tea business here in Melbourne, which was doing well and moved to another, a small place. And that I was like starting from scratch. So it was just like, I only had him and the, and that town, it's like a town where there are not many black people. There's not many different cultures in there. So it felt very isolating. And my friends, you know, weren't coming because it's far. They have to plan if they need to come there. And so was he, was his job primarily there? Like, is, why didn't you guys like stay in Melbourne? Yeah, his job was primarily there. And before we got married, we, you know, we had this big discussion for a long time about what should I do? Should he move? Should I move? Da, 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 da. And it just worked out better financially for me to move there. And because for my business, that's when I was starting my online coaching. So when I met my husband, I was doing one-on-one in a gym. So I was working in a, in a really busy gym and I'd really built up my business and my clientele, but I'd started thinking about transitioning to the online space. So I just thought, okay, if I move to this town, I can now focus on my online business and grow that. Yeah, so that's how I started my online business to what it what it is now. And so was that like a culture shock for your family when you just completely quit law and was like, I am a fitness coach and this is what I'm going to do? <laughs> yes, it was. It was massive. They thought I was freaking crazy. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> How can you leave law? Like, imagine if, you know, the society, anyone in society would say, how can you leave law for fitness? So imagine your family, they'll be like, what? Crazy. But I was so strong, you know, and that's the thing. Like, even though um, I've got a a soft voice or I'm, I'm quite a soft character, I have such a strength within me when I'm determined to do something, I do it. Um, You know, even leaving these relationships, even, you know, leaving my husband and recognizing that it became an emotionally abusive and dangerous relationship, being able to leave. There's so many women who can't do that. There's so many people who can't leave professions that they're miserable in because they just can't do it. So that makes me see how strong I am. Maybe I get that. And it it did. It It took you a while to leave. Like yeah, it did. It 10 took years years plus. Well, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah, it took a while. Okay, a so while. now back to the husband. When did we start to get to the point to where it was like, okay, this is not cool. Like, <laughs> I think I need to break free. What, what was going on? Um, I think for me, it was just the fact that I was so unhappy with him. Like, I just, I didn't see how we connected. We didn't have much to say to each other. Um, The negative comments had increased so much that I began to feel resentful and I began to get depressed as well. Um, 
And then because I began to get depressed, I, I became depressed. I, he also used that. <laughs> so you'd say, you're so miserable. You're so this, you're so that. But I'll be thinking something is not right about the way you're treating me and the things that you're saying. He became very distant. Um, yeah, there was a lot going on there. <laughs> There's some things I think I'm not yet ready to go to now uh, as in the actual detail. But yeah, it just became a really um, terrible situation where I became really depressed. And then my family and my friends started noticing that something was off and said, T, something's going on. <clears throat> and even when I said some of the things that he would say, they would say, that's not okay. Until I began to listen more and more to what they were telling me. Mm. So there was verbal abuse. Mm, and emotional. So, you know, that manipulation. Um, yeah. Manipulation, I would say emotional manipulation and verbal abuse. Wow. Okay. Mm. And then, so what was the final straw with that? I think the final straw was when I started picking up the phone and calling suicide hotline, like saying I'm like wanting to kill myself and, and telling my sister as well in the States that I was feeling suicidal. And at that time, that was the period of 2016 to about 20, late 2017. And, you know, for those people who followed me on social media for years, they will they will know. I mean, probably no one really noticed, but those were the years where I was just quiet. I wasn't on social media. My business was just, it was just a lull. It's not like how it is now where you see me con constantly posting things. It was just dead. I took a lot of people off my Facebook. I just wanted to hide. I was just so depressed. There were so many days that I would just spend in bed, just wanting to die, like literally in bed, covers just in there. And then it just got to that point where I thought, you know, my husband's in the other room. I'm calling a suicide hotline. This is not cool. I need to leave. And I was scared to leave because I thought, where am I going to go? By that point, I didn't have much money because I'd shut up my business. I, I didn't even have motivation to work, even though I knew that, you know, I'm a resourceful person. But I just lost myself. Couldn't do anything. So I thought, where am I even going to go? You know, and so you guys were still like in that like rural like country area at the time. Mm, still in the rural country area. And so, how far was that from Melbourne? That was three hours drive from Melbourne. Okay. So it wasn't that far, but I just thought, how am I gonna get to Melbourne and then you know find somewhere to stay? I don't have much money. I just and I suppose because I was so depressed, I couldn't take those action steps that somebody who's not depressed would take you know it was like my brain just shut down so you're calling suicide hotline what was the thing that was just like um i don't want to die <laughs> like uh -huh. i kind of want to live this life <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think for me it was thinking you know what, if I, if I, if I do die, then what does it, what does it serve? What does it help? 
And I really thought that if I killed myself, you wouldn't care anyway. So it was like, well, what's the point? I might as well just live. And I, and I would always like look back at what I had done before or how I was before. And I'll think, but I was like this and I used to do this and I was, this is me. This is not me as I am now. I want to go back to this person, this team. So I think that's what it was, wanting to go back to who I knew I was. It was just trying to dig her out, out of all that mess. And so how did you even start the process? How did you even get out of bed? Oh, I'll give all credit to my sister. My sister really supported me, you know, like those times I would speak to her daily. So we'd speak on Facebook Messenger and she's got two kids. So, you know, a lot of credit to her too for just being there for me. But what she did was she would help with practical things like saying, you know, call this place. Or once she booked me an Airbnb place from, she's in, you know, by that time she was in Phoenix, but she booked me an Airbnb place in that small town um, for me to just go away for a few days and just think. She said, T, just get out of that space and just go somewhere and just think, at least think about what's going on. I just feel like you're, you're not going to be able to process stuff when you're in that negative space. So I did that and I went away for a few days and didn't hear from my husband. He didn't care where I was. I was he was just like, allowed to go. Yes, and he didn't even check to see where I was or anything. That's a big sign. He didn't care. You know, yeah, what, I don't know what was going on in his mind, but he didn't, didn't give a fuck, right? Right. right. <laughs> so I ended up going back anyway to the house um, after thinking. And the great thing about being at that Airbnb, and I think this was all meant to be, um, the great thing about being at that Airbnb was that the lady who owned the place, she was just so beautiful. And we started having a really good friendship. Um, we stayed in touch even after I left the Airbnb. And there was a time when I was just sitting at home thinking, fuck, where am I going to go? Like, where am I? If I leave, where can I start? And then she sent me a text message saying um, she had some cats. So she said, you know, I'm going away for three weeks and I need someone to look after my cats. How about you come <laughs> over and stay <laughs> and stay for three weeks? for free and you know look after my house and da, 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 da. then I was like right that's my get out card the universe is so perfect like that right yeah yeah so you're there so, for three weeks and then yeah I was there for three weeks and then I managed to sort out where to go from there so what I did was I stayed there for three weeks I went back to um, the house and then I started packing up my stuff. So at that point, because my husband traveled a lot, he yeah, traveled a lot. So he um, he went away to Asia on a trip, business trip. And that's when I told him that, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> this is not working. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think part of the, you know, when I talk about things like emotional, emotional abuse, part of emotional abuse can also be silent treatment. So sometimes when I would say things like, hey, I don't like this, he just wouldn't talk to me for days. So it's like a prisoner, you know, you're in a space with someone and they're not talking to you. That is very, it's actually torture. It's very torturous to be in that situation. And, yeah. you know, 
and I'd say, hey, let's just talk, nothing, silence. So it was just these constant techniques that just ended up beating me down. I just couldn't, couldn't take it. So yeah, so I left. And then I found a place to rent out. So I was um, renting a place and then I was still working in that small town. And I also got referred to um, the domestic violence center. So I went there so they could try and help me with work and bits and pieces. But while I was there, they also said, hey, why don't you come and do this course um, just so you can understand a little bit more about abuse? Because I think for me, the hardest thing was that he never hit me but I was emotionally abused. And at that time, I didn't understand what emotional abuse was. So when I did this course, I got to understand that I was actually going through emotional abuse. And I also went through financial abuse as well. So those are just as harmful as physical abuse, if not more, because it's harder for a woman to prove, or a man, to prove emotional abuse as opposed to physical abuse. Wow. Yes, mm. and people live in that every day, and because they are not physically being abused, then mm -hmm. it's like it's nothing. Even the verbal abuse, mm. like it, that is a lot. Exactly, and some people just take it and they think, well, what am I going to say? So even for me, when I told, you know, family or even tell other people, they're like, what you, you know it's almost like you have to say no but then he said this and he did this and I got to a point where I realized that I don't have to explain it I know what I went through and and if someone doesn't get it too bad at yeah. least I'm free and I'm happy yes okay so we take the class and we're we running out of spot now you have a place to stay what what's yeah. going on now so I'm at this place, place to stay, but mentally, emotionally, I'm in a bad place. I was in a bad place. I was a hot, hot, hot mess. Because even though I had left, it was hard to, it was hard to leave. It was hard to understand that my marriage was over and that I was starting separation. It was hard to understand that I was, you know, I'd been through emotional abuse. And through all this time, I never heard from him. I never heard from my husband again until um, it was probably two years that I never heard from him from that time that I left up until we started the divorce proceedings. So a lot of people would say to me, have you heard from a, I'm not going to say his name. Have you heard from so-and-so? Have you heard from to the point where I said, guys, he's not going to get in touch with me. So just stop asking. <laughs> so that was hard too. It was hurtful. Yeah, you feel rejected. Of course. And I just had to start, I had to start from scratch. So I had, I had nothing because I allowed my finance, financial situation or that situation to be all controlled by him. And there was a lot of financial abuse there as well. So already it was like I was building myself back up again. And I felt like crap. <laughs> Yeah, absolute crap. I was like, oh my god, where do I start? And then the same year that I separated, my dad passed away. So I was dealing with my dad passing away, and I was dealing with separation. So it was just crazy, right? So life was like kicking your ass at that moment. So. It was kicking my ass, girl. It was crazy. So even when I went for my dad's funeral, I hadn't separated from my husband then. But um, he went off on holiday 
to Asia. He went on holiday. So we went to the airport together. I got on the plane to go to dad's funeral and he went on holiday because he said he needed a break. And my dad had just died. So I don't know. <laughs> that was crazy. So when I got to the funeral, everyone was like, where's so-and-so? I'm like, oh, he had to go for a business trip. I, you know, I just lied. So it was, it was horrific. I don't even know how I got through my dad's uh, funeral. I was just, I was not there. I was just crazy. I was literally going crazy. Yeah, they call that disassociation, where mm -hmm. you literally just like check out. See <laughs> ya. Okay, so how do we, how do we slowly start to take care of ourselves? How do we slowly start to heal? I mean, that's a big deal. Uh -huh. Your it's father and your lover at the, you know, basically at the same time. Like that's your world. Yeah, that's true. It was, oh, it was really tough. Um, what did I do? I started counseling. So slowly, bit by bit, started picking up the pieces. And then I also had to transition from that town to Melbourne. So I started looking at ways I could, you know, start to come back. So started saving money so I could move back to Melbourne and get a place to stay and then look for another job. So I slowly started getting, getting back up. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne after about three months of staying in that town. And even when I was in that town, it was hard because when I'd go to work, I think, oh my God, is he you know, maybe he can see me, but he's not talking to me. It was almost like I had a bit of fear as well. But anyway, I moved to Melbourne um, and I was sharing a, a place, a flat or a unit, whatever you call it, like an apartment. You call, call it an apartment in America, an apartment with another girl. Um, and then I was just, I was working at this gym, but I was just feeling like bleh, just something. Yeah, things were just like, just gray everything was gray and I was just going through the motions and feeling like crap still and then I, I remember I was at my friend's place and um, we'd been partying or whatever the night before and I woke up the next day and she'd gone somewhere and I thought what can I do I wonder if I could work on a ship or a cruise ship or something so what I did was I sent my, um, a cousin of mine, my cousin's wife, I sent her a message and said, you know, what do you think about working on a cruise ship? Because she works on cruise ships and she has done for many years. And she said, oh, you should give it a go. You know, I think you might enjoy it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I went on to the job website and there was a job for a personal trainer on a cruise ship. And I was like, ah, I'm gonna apply. And then within three days, they called me for the interview and had interviewed the next week, the following week, and then, yeah, got it. So that's how I ended up going on a cruise ship around the world, was around the world cruise ship for nine months. And that really allowed me to just get away from Melbourne because being in Melbourne was reminding me of how I had left, was reminding me of my husband. And I just needed to get away from people's questions of, how can you leave and then what happened and what do you mean by emotional abuse and da, 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 and why did you, you know, all that stuff. I, I just need to get away. And I did. So that's how I ended up on a cruise ship. I don't know if you were my Facebook friend then, probably not. 
but um, I used to post all these, um, like I posted my journey of around the world. So I had all these albums of the Caribbeans and da 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 da. But it really allowed me to um, start healing. Being on the water was great. Being in all these different um, countries and cultures was good as well. And it just brought me back to myself. So wow. good experience. So I only got back last year. August 2019 and then I think I met you later that year January January. yeah this January so yeah Yeah. so August 2019 was when I really started getting myself back together yeah and here I am yeah okay (laughs) okay so from that journey what would you say was the most profound Thing you learned going through that whole experience ah, wow I don't know if it's profound but I think I learned to um, to to value my voice and to know that it's valid and also to know what I'm worth as well um, there I had so many doubts through my relationships and through, you know, the, the work that I used to do, I used to doubt myself so much. So now it's just like, I, I feel like I'm just in a place where I listen to myself and I respect my myself and my intuition is very strong as well. Um, and I'm just, uh, I suppose, really grateful that I'm so strong and that I got through it because literally there were times when I could have lost my life. And maybe that sounds exaggerated, but it's actually true. There were times I was going to take my life. I wouldn't even be here anymore. So when I look at that, I think, wow, I'm so grateful to just be here. So for me, when I wake up every day, I'm like, I'm so grateful to be alive. And I mean it. I'm just grateful to be alive and then to do all the other things that I do. Because I was this close to taking my own life or just dying from drinking too much or just doing, doing stuff to try and block everything out, you know? And so what would you tell that girl who like really just couldn't get out, get out the bed and she had the strength <laughs> to call the suicide hotline though, <laughs> but what, what would you tell that girl who just couldn't get out of bed, who was just like, I, I want to take my life. Maybe he'll care if I'm not here. You know, like, what do you tell that girl? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Get out of the bed, girl. Um, I don't know. I think I'll tell that girl that there's always hope. There's always um, light. And I think one of the biggest things is that um, when I was down under that, under the bed, like, I would go on to YouTube. I'd still have the strength to go on to YouTube and maybe try and look for some videos to lift me up. And guess what? I would find interviews just like the one you and I are doing now of two women talking about, and the other one saying she went through abuse. Then I'd find another blog or I'd go onto Facebook and I'd read someone's story and I'd think, okay, maybe if she did it, I can. And that's why I'm doing this interview as well. I'm being so open because there might even be one woman who's going to watch this and be like, oh, yeah, maybe I can get up too. That's the way I got up. Exactly. So I owe that to somebody else, to another woman out there. Wow. Mm. Okay. 
So give us a little explanation of where you are with your practice now. Because, I mean, we pretty much caught on that you're a fitness <laughs> coach. <laughs> yeah. So where am I now? Oh, um, so I run Fitness to a T. And what it is, is I train women worldwide. Um, and I have online coaching programs. So people can see the exercise programs through an app that I have that I got designed for my business. And I also do nutrition plans. Um, also with fitness to a T, it's not just about the coaching, but I also have, um, I would say it's a fitness tree. So I have books, so health and fitness books, because I love writing. And then um, I'm, I'm launching a clothing line as well. So fitness clothing for women, that's going to launch in August. And then I also model. So I love modeling. I've done modeling since I got to Australia. So that's another part of what I do. And I also write for magazines, so different health and fitness magazines in Australia. And then I also run a charity. So the charity is based in Zimbabwe, where I'm from. And it's a cancer charity that looks after poor cancer patients and their families. Because my mom died of cancer in 2010. So I started that back then. So yes, that's a that's a snippet of, of where I am, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you take a deep breath with that. Like, yeah, yes. that's like, yes. like going on, girl. <laughs> Just doing what I love and yeah, helping helping others as I do it. Yes. So what what I take people on a journey of through these interviews is like I said, people's darkest moments. And, and like where you just give up at, you know what I'm saying? And then how do we get back from that point of just giving up and, and feeling completely hopeless and empty and, and get to some kind of feeling of hope, some kind of feeling of optimism, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just to feel a wee little bit better. You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit. Yeah, how do you get to feeling that little bit of hope? Yeah, like where, if you were giving advice, what would you say to that person who is completely hopeless, completely mm -hmm. void? And you know how it is, you turn into a zombie, you're numb, you're not feeling anything. Yeah, um, whew, that's a good question because... I think it's it's very personal, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer from my experience. For me, it was having just a glimmer of hope that life could be better. But the only way I could see that life could be better was by looking at other people. That's the only way I managed to get up, by looking at other people and thinking, hey, but their life is better. Or I was like someone who would literally be Googling motivational people or women who've been through abuse, just so I could read their stories, just to see what do they do. So that's how I started getting a glimmer. Once I got the glimmer, then I was like, okay, what can I do? What's an action step that I can take? And for me, the first thing was I needed counseling. I needed support. Um, and that's how I started getting up. And then once I started doing the counseling and realizing that what I was feeling was valid and normal, then I started getting more support. So um, doing meditation, for example, um, I'm someone who's spiritual. So, uh, you know, my spiritual practices have definitely helped me 
I know not everyone is spiritual. Um, everyone's individual, but yeah, that's helped me as well. Yeah, thank you for saying that because um, I am a strong believer and I feel it's just fact <laughs> that mm. we create our own reality. And mm. a lot of people have a problem with that because it's about accountability or like, you know, I got into a car accident and the car came out of no damn where. And so how are you going to tell me that that's my fault? But uh -huh. it's like, what were you thinking about for the last couple of months? <laughs> like, were you in a state of worry, waiting for something to happen? You know what I'm yeah. saying? You're always mm -hmm. a nervous wreck. You always have anxiety. When you get happy, you're kind of like, oh, shit, let me, because something is about to happen because I'm too damn yeah. happy, you know? And then so something happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, I, I didn't create that. And yeah. so we're noticing the theme with, all of these interviews is when a person stops living the lie. The lie is, is that my life is working. Even though I, you know, I'm just giving an example. I love to paint and I freaking love to drink coffee, but the people around me say coffee isn't healthy and fuck painting because you can't make no money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So then I deny myself, I tell a lie, and then I start doing a career that people think, you know, is more suitable for self. And then all these problems start happening because you're defying self. You're not living your truth. And in all of these mm -hmm. interviews, especially yours, you talked about going through the motions of, you know, the lawyer thing mm -hmm. and, and even trying different aspects of it, even the human rights. I thought the human rights thing was going to get you. <laughs> I thought that was going to get you. Um, I know. And once you really lived your truth, fitness is where it is at. And you help out mm -hmm. so many people and you get so many results. Mm -hmm. And so it just flows. It's not even it, like hard work, it's just like it just flows. I don't have to strive for it. For law, I had to strive to do it. You had to fight. You had to, what we call, work hard. You know? I had to work hard, exactly. A lot of people get upset with these millennials because they feel like they're lazy and they're not working. But I feel like they're a product of the generations before them, which is us. You know, yes. which is our parents who kept, we were taught to work hard. And in these yeah. careers that we couldn't stand and miserable, and the millennials are like, hell no. <laughs> like, it's true. Something you love, it doesn't even feel like work. When you're living yeah. your truth, life doesn't feel so freaking hard. Mm -hmm. Right? So give yeah. us your information, you know, your website, where you can be reached, your app, so that okay. people can freaking get a hold of you, girl. Yes. So our website is fitness2at.com, so C-O-M dot A-U. And then Instagram is my first name and the digit one, so Teorai1, T-E-U-R-A-I-1. 
and then Facebook Fitness to a team. So with the app, the app is for clients only. So when you um, sign on to a program, that's when you can access the app. But please feel free to get onto my social media because I always post exercise videos, nutrition videos, and even educational videos as well on simple things like how to use a tape measure or just, you know, a lot of questions that people ask about fitness. <laughs> and you're good too, because I even seen the suitcase workout. I was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so no excuses. No excuses. For everyone. Yeah. And so you've got a podcast going on too, right? Yes, I do. Under the Tree with Tea. Um, so that's on Spotify as well. So you can get that on Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Anchor. But you can always just Google Under the Tree with Tea and you can have a, have a listen. And I'll also be going into, you know, more in depth in terms of the emotional abuse and relationships, marriage, etc in the podcast as I go along. Nice. Well, Miss T, thank you so much for joining us here at You Thrive Every Day and just explaining to people how we thrive from the most darkest moments in our life. We appreciate you coming all the way from Australia. We got to big that up. Okay, Australia is in the house. Zimbabwe. <laughs> Thank okay. you for having me. Great. You've been to London, to <laughs> Germany, you know. Yeah. She is representing up in here. She international, okay? <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys, thank you. everybody, for tuning in to our show. We are so thankful for you guys being here. And we will catch you again first and third Tuesdays for the Youth Thrive Every Day with another great interview. Everyone have a miraculous Day. You are loved, and we will talk soon, everybody. Peace.